morning, guys. My name is Spencer Meisner. I'm the director of senior high and young adults ministries here at Forest Grove Community Church, um, based primarily at the Attridge location here. Um, just want to say hello and welcome to you guys this morning. Uh, welcome to a lot of our students who are back from places like BC and Australia and all kinds of different places. So welcome back. It's good to, good to have you guys back. Um, we're, we're excited to, to spend this morning with you, um, singing and, and learning and worshiping our God. Um, so we are in a series right now called And His Name Shall Be Called, um, where we are discussing um, the different names that Jesus has given in Isaiah 9. And we are now, today, have entered our last week of Advent, um, which is scary when you think that Christmas Day is a week from today. Um, are, is anybody ready for that? Is anybody prepared for Christmas Day? I didn't see a single hand go up. Okay. Um, that's next week. So we are in our last week of Advent. So we have discussed... Uh, the names that Jesus has given, like Wonderful Counselor. Uh, we have discussed Almighty God. We have discussed Everlasting Father. And today we get to talk about Prince of Peace. And I think that often uh, Christmas is associated with, with peace. There's many Christmas carols that talk about peace on earth. And we think that Christmas is a time where we want to feel relaxed and rested and have no stress. How many of you feel no stress about Christmas? No hands still? One, three hands? Okay. That's good. I'm glad you feel no stress about Christmas. There would be a lot of people here who don't necessarily equate Christmas with peaceful, restful, uh, anything like that. Um, Maybe you still have lots of shopping to do. Um, Maybe you are buying for 15 of your nephews and you think, I don't have that much money or I can't find 15 presents for nephews that I don't really understand. Uh, Maybe you're hosting your in-laws and you're freaking out about the amount of food that you have to cook and not having enough beds and Uh, all different kinds of stuff. Um, Maybe you are freaking out because you promised your wife who just moved here from BC a white Christmas, and there's barely any snow on the ground. Uh, Maybe you're freaking out because it's minus 40 and doesn't really feel like Christmas without snow. Um, Whatever it is, maybe you don't have a family that you can celebrate Christmas with, and maybe you don't feel like it's a joyful time. There are a lot of different things that might bring um, the idea of peace and Christmas pretty far away from each other uh, in your life. And I want to I talk about peace this morning in a different way. Because we do often think of Christmas as being restful, relaxing, no stress, get to spend time with your family, and those are, those are good things, and they do happen. Um, but I want to talk about something a little bit different. Uh, and so as I was thinking about peace and who, who in my life might represent peace the best, I started to think of, uh, of my friend Chandra Stiles. Um, who's not here this morning, so I can pick on her all I want. Um, she, as you can see, in nearly every picture that she takes, she's throwing up the peace sign. So Chandra, um, this didn't take very long to find these pictures on her Facebook profile either. Um, Chandra is someone who wants peace between people. She blesses you with peace when she gives you this peace sign. Um, there is a chance she's stuck in the 90s when this was a cool thing to do. Um, she also has a flip phone, so I think it's safe to say she's probably stuck in the 90s in some sense. Kirk, don't tell her anything I'm saying today, please. Um, but again, as good as those things are, as good as the blessing of peace is unto others, that might not actually be what Jesus was bringing when he wanted to be the Prince of Peace and when he brought peace to earth. Uh, Jesus actually tells us in Scripture that we will suffer hardships as, as followers of him. There would be people in this room 
who would say their life actually might have gotten more difficult since they became a Christian, um, who have severed relationships because of their faith. Um, that's, that's hard. That's not necessarily a peaceful feeling in our lives. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He also tells us that we will be hated by all because of his name. So when we think of Jesus, it's natural to think of of peace as surrounding Jesus. And that's true. And Jesus, I believe Jesus wants peace on earth and he wants peace between men. But I think there's a different kind of peace that Jesus actually brought to the table when he came to earth and died for us. And as a disclaimer, I want to say that I was firmly on the other side of the camp before I, before I started writing this. I was on the side that said Jesus wanted us to be peaceful, wanted us to feel rest, and wanted us to feel no stress. Um, he tells us that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So there is reality there, but I want to tell you that as I've been writing this, I've kind of felt a pull in a different direction. Um, and so in the last week, I've kind of just changed my perspective on this. So I apologize if there are some incomplete thoughts in this, but I'm kind of taking this journey along with you. Um, and so as I was thinking of what kind of peace Jesus might actually be, if he's not necessarily the peace that we might equate him with, I came across a sentence that I think sums it up pretty well. Jesus being the Prince of Peace means that he brings a harmony brought on by our restoration with God. A harmony brought on by our restoration with God. And there's a lot of evidence that that might support this and a lot of ways that we might read scripture and and bring this out. Ephesians says that peace that we get from Jesus stems from a number of things. It stems from the riches of his grace. It stems from how great his power. It stems from out of the love which he loved us, the great love in which he loved us. And it stems from the grace of that which we have been saved. So if that's the case, if peace is grace and a harmony between us and our creator, then we can't really understand that kind of peace without talking about things like grace and restoration and reconciliation and ultimately the gospel story, which is all of those things. And so let me just go all the way back to the beginning here all the way back to the first pages of Scripture, when God creates the world and he creates Adam and Eve. And they're in the garden, they're walking with God. And brokenness happens. God gives them free will and says, this is your garden, everything's perfect, everything's wonderful in here. All I'm asking is you don't eat fruit off this tree. We all know they eat fruit off the tree. Sin enters the world and brokenness begins. There is now a severed relationship where Adam and Eve leave the garden. They are no longer walking with God right next to him as they once were. There is now a broken relationship there. That's where brokenness starts. And so as imperfect humans, they had the choice and they chose something that led to brokenness. And since God is holy and without sin, he had to part from those people because they then had sin. And so, later on, God creates this system to bring people close to him. He chooses a group of people and says, you will be my people, you are special, I love you very deeply, you are my people, the Israelites. And as we read through the Bible, we know that they follow every command and everything goes perfectly from there on out. Not, not quite. 
Um, we know that the Israelites make a lot of mistakes, and there is even more brokenness that happens. Even though God may show up in clouds of fire and in burning bushes and in ways that we think we would see right away. God walks by Moses, right? We have these conversations between God and Moses. God shows up a hundred different ways, and there's still, there's still a severed relationship there. The Israelites choose to serve false gods and create false gods and do things that continue to break their relationship with, with their creator. One who specifically says to them, you are my people, I love you, I'm going to walk with you, and I promise you things. They choose to walk away from that in many different circumstances. And in many times they do follow well. But they choose to walk away from that, and they, they wander the desert for 40 years before they encounter any kind of promise, promised land. So there's our problem. There's brokenness. I glazed over the Old Testament in like a minute and a half, so I apologize. There's a lot more there. Um, but there's brokenness, Right? There's a God who created people, who had a relationship with them, who walked with them, and then it ended. That relationship was gone. The only relationship they could have with him, with their creator, was through sacrifices and through the priests. That was the only kind of closeness they might have with God, even though he showed up in many different ways. If you're a Star Wars fan, this is the disturbance in the Force. This is an issue. This is where brokenness becomes a problem. We can see the problem as we're far out from it. We see brokenness everywhere. I don't think I need to give examples of brokenness, but I will. If you don't know what's going on in Syria right now, you need to look into it. Syria is falling apart. The city of Aleppo is being destroyed in every, at every corner, every turn. Every day there's more t- numbers that are going up, and things are, things are bad. We see it in our own country. This weekend, in one night... In Vancouver, nine people died of overdoses. One night. That's brokenness. That sucks. That's not the way that God wants this world to function. But brokenness is here. There's brokenness in many of our families. Maybe hard to talk about as well, but... (laughs) um, I, I come from a family that is categorically known as broken. So I don't know my birth father. My mom raised me on her own for a number of years. Um, married a man who I didn't have a good relationship with. She didn't have a great relationship with. Spent 20-some years together. Two years ago, they split up. I come from a broken, broken family. There be people in this midst, in, sitting right beside you, who come from situations way worse than mine. But these situations are broken. And that's the truth. This is not the perfect Garden of Eden that that God wanted for us. We, as imperfect humans, walked away from that. And I'm sure many of us would love to go back there. But we have walked away from there because there is brokenness. So thankfully, there is a happy side to all of this, and I probably won't cry again. Jesus came. Jesus was born, and Jesus lived, and Jesus died to right the wrongs, to return humans to relationship with God, to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. There is a happy ending to this, where brokenness exists. And the best part is, he, he, he walked with those people, just like God walked with Adam and Eve. Jesus came to earth in the flesh, came down, pulled us out of the miry clay, and walked alongside people, just as happened in the Garden of Eden. Now, Another great part about this is 
Jesus didn't just come for the Israelites. Jesus didn't just show up to save those who God set apart. Which I'm thankful for because as far as I know, I'm not of Israeli descent. And so I'm happy that Jesus came to save me. I might be Greek because I have kind of a big nose, but I'm not really sure. Um, But I'm not of Israeli descent. And so I'm thankful that as a Gentile person, Jesus came to save me. I'm happy about that. So I want to read out of Ephesians 2. We're going to spend a little bit of time today. Verses 11 to 19. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, who you were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which in the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to, put, to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That's exciting. That's exciting because God came to save Me. I wasn't pointed out as one of these people that God set apart to be his people until Jesus came back, and then I was. I don't know everyone's family history, but I imagine that this is is us. We are the Gentiles in this scenario. That Jesus didn't just come back to save the people that God set apart, but came to save us as well. The Jews call themselves the circumcision. I don't feel like I need to explain circumcision in this scenario, but they, they called themselves a circumcision. They set themselves apart. That was their identity. This was a big deal to them. Paul mentions that it's only physical. That doesn't save them. But that was a big deal to Jewish people that they called themselves a circumcision. And to the Gentiles, many of us, we were called the uncircumcision, which was essentially an ethnic slur towards us because we were lesser people. You can almost hear it in Daniel's voice, or in David's voice, sorry, in 1 Samuel when he's talking about Goliath, when he says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? I may be adding inflection to that, but you can read it that way, where David's saying, this uncircumcised Philistine has no idea what he's up against. This is, a, this is a big divide between Jews and Gentiles in this time. This is an actual big deal. If Gentiles wanted to worship this God that the Israelites worshipped, if somehow they got wind of this and, and found their way to worshipping God, they had to convert to Judaism in order to do it. Which was not an easy thing. It, it meant cutting of skin and being a whole different person, essentially which is probably not what many Gentiles wanted to do. 
Even more than that, Gentiles weren't allowed into the temple courts. They couldn't even go to this place where God was. If you remember at this point, in the temple, God's spirit is in the Holy of Holies, and there's many courts that go out from it. The Gentiles were not even allowed in. There's a sign that said this, Let no one of any other nation come within the fence and barrier around the holy place. Whoever is caught doing so will so will himself be responsible for the fact that his death will ensue. That's scary. I don't want to go into a temple court where that's going to happen. But there was a serious divide. There's a really big divide between Jews and Gentiles at this time. Until Jesus, there was no way for a Gentile to worship God while being a Gentile. He essentially had to give up everything that he was in order to worship God until Jesus came. And that's why I'm thankful for verse 13, as we read, which starts with, but now, pointing out there's a big difference, a big shift in the way that they're going. And it says, but now, because Jesus was born, Jesus lived, and he died for us. Because of his blood, which was the price, we can have a relationship, we can have reconciliation with our creator that we weren't able to have before. This was not an option for us if we were around at this time. See, now we've all been alive in an era post-Jesus where as Gentiles, we can talk to God whenever we want. So maybe we don't really grasp the, the vastness and the big deal that this was for Gentiles, non-holy people, to be able to actually worship God. And it's because Jesus broke down this dividing wall that they talk about in Ephesians. First of all, broke down the dividing wall to him. As I mentioned, the Holy of Holies is where God's spirit was. As Jesus died, the curtain in the temple tore, signifying that anyone can enter this space, and God's spirit is not limited to this space. That anyone can enter God's presence And God's presence and God's spirit can be anywhere. He also broke down the dividing wall to other people in the sense that it doesn't matter what your heritage is anymore. You can worship God. You have freedom to worship God and to be saved through Jesus' blood. So it doesn't matter if you're Irish or German or Russian or Mennonite or Baptist or from Regina. You can worship God. We have the ability to worship God no matter how far off we might have been. And I'm thankful for that being from Regina. I'm very happy that's a possibility. I'm happy for that. Jesus broke down this dividing wall. And so as I was thinking about this, I was trying to think, what kind of imagery could I I use to explain this? And so I wanted to use something that I think hits home for many people here, and that's the, the imagery of the Berlin Wall. So there'd be some of us who weren't alive while the Berlin Wall was up, myself included, Um, So give me a little bit of grace as I go through the history of it. Um, But uh, the Berlin Wall was essentially, after World War II, um, Germany is split up into different parts for the different allies to take control of. Berlin being the capital was also very important, so it was also split up into four pieces or more. And so as things deteriorated, relationships deteriorated between the Western allies and the Soviet Union, things kind of didn't go so great, so the Soviet Union put up this wall. It stood from 1961 to 1989, 
And uh, it was about 155 kilometers long, which, to put that in perspective, is from here to Chamberlain. It was huge, huge. This wall was to keep East Germany separate from West Germany because there was also enmity between those two people. It was to keep the East Germans from defecting to West Germany by the Soviet Union. And so there was significant uh, militaristic stuff. I'm sure there was signs just like this one that we read uh, from the temple that said, you know, if anyone crosses over this wall, they are accepting their own death. There's some pretty significant stuff here. I think I have more pictures here, too, of... uh, of my wife and her mom. I mean, not there, but regardless. Um, there's uh, some modern-day pictures of the Berlin Wall. You were entering the American sector carrying weapons off-duty, forbidden, obey traffic rules in many different languages. Lots of warnings that were going on to this wall. This is kind of the dividing wall that Jesus broke down. Now, there's many political things that actually brought the fall of the Berlin Wall to play, but this is kind of the imagery I want to use because it was separating two people The East Germans could not get into West Germany and vice versa. It was splitting up these people that ultimately, in the end, Germans wanted to be unified in it all. It was kind of the same thing, where there was a dividing wall between the Gentiles and the Jews, and eventually Jesus says, I want this to be everyone. I want this to be my church, the global church. I want to read from 2 Corinthians here for you. There from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have this reconciliation not only vertically to God, we have the ability to reach God, to praise God, to be saved by God, but we also have this reconciliation reconciliation horizontally, where, and as cheesy as this may sound, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe that term has been overused a bit, but it's very true. It doesn't matter what kind of history we have or whether you're a Jew and I'm a Gentile. What's important is that we share Christ in common. That is our identity. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we essentially lay down our national identity of Jew or Gentile, which was the only real two nationalities that mattered at the time in Christianity. We lay those down and we just become in Christ, together, as one global church. The price of this sacrifice that God had to make, and it was a sacrifice, was the the blood of his son, which I'm sure he's okay with. Um, But it it was a hefty price to pay in order to get us to be one global church. So there is no Jew or Gentile anymore. Because of the death of Jesus Christ, Gentiles, us, have the same rights as Jews. We lose our, na- our national identity just as the Jews do in this sense. And Gentiles and Jews are a part of the same church body for the first time ever. We now are able to worship the same God, to be a part of this church that we weren't even allowed to come close to before. We would die 
And most importantly, while we have peace with other men and this national identity and this dividing wall doesn't exist, most importantly, Jesus reconciled us with the Father. As I said, there was a broken relationship, right? We talked about brokenness. We understand brokenness. We get it. We sit in brokenness all the time. There was brokenness, and Jesus brought peace to that brokenness and said, here, you can now be with the Father. That is the gift that Jesus was to us. We are righteous now. We are now forgiven. We are now redeemed. We are pardoned. And we are delivered from the power of sin. Those are the things that Jesus brought for us. That's the peace that he wanted for us. And that's the peace that we get. And we actually get to partake in that. There's a quote from one of the commentaries that I was reading that actually puts this into perspective really, really well. So if you understand, and I'm sure many of you do, kind of the the idea around the Holy of Holies was kind of, there was one guy who could go in there one time a year, basically, um, and that was the experience people had with God. So let me read this quote to you. But now, the most distant Gentile who is in Christ really and continuously enjoys the august spiritual privilege which one man of one tribe of one nation on one day of the year only typically and periodically possessed. One man, one tribe, one nation, one day of the year got to experience this. And now we get to experience this all the time. That is big. (laughs) That is a big, big thing for us. That is the peace that Jesus brought to us. And I want to point out as well that just because there was a broken relationship between God and man doesn't mean there was hate from God's side at all. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah is complaining to God about Israel. And he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I think Elijah makes a pretty good point. Builds a pretty strong case for saying that the Israelites have gone too far. But God doesn't destroy them. God doesn't wipe them out because he knows there is reconciliation coming. In Genesis 18, Abraham is pleading with God to save the city of Sodom, which we know, not a great place. Um, and, and Abraham says to God, God's planning on wiping it out. And Abraham says to God, okay, God, if there, is, if there is 50 righteous people there, would you save it? Would that be worth it? And God says, yes, if there's 50 righteous people there, that would that'd be fine. I, I, would, I, I would save that city. Abraham says, what if there was just under 50, 45? Would you save that city? God says, yeah. Abraham says, what about, what about 40? What about 30? And he whittles them down to 10. And God says, yes, that's, that's worth it because these are my people. God still loved us in this brokenness. So much so that he gave his one and only son. As we continue to read John 3.16, we understand what that means to us. Because God loved us so much that he gave us Jesus. There is no hate in God's heart towards us. There is just sin in our own. And that's what separated us. 
There was no hate in God's heart towards us. There was just sin in our own hearts. And that's what made this divide happen. That's what started this gap between us and God. And thankfully, in all of this, we have peace. We have peace now because of all of this. And on top of that, we we get the Holy Spirit, which is almost like the gift on top of the gift of Jesus. We have someone who intercedes on our behalf as we pray to God. Someone who groans in ways that we don't understand for us. We have someone who is called the helper for us. What a gift Jesus really was to us. And as cheesy as it sounds, he really was the greatest gift ever given to us. And he's the gift that keeps on giving. There's so many cliches we can use for them, but they're all true. Because there was brokenness, there was a gap, there was a divide, and Jesus created a peace for us. He created peace between us and our creator, which is something that we could not have had if not for Jesus Christ.